Ron and Anian. Did you ever notice in Star Trek, every time they visited Vulcan, you never see cars on Vulcan? What he says is logical, and I do, in fact, agree with it. The Car Doctor. Imagine your pointed finger is the ABS sensor, and the hole that the finger is stuck into is the wheel bearing. Now you'll understand this 07 Nissan Murano that I'm going to tell you about. To deny the facts would be illogical, Doctor. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. And now... Live long and prosper. He... Hey, welcome. Ron and Amy and the Car Doctor here. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. Call in now. Get in on the Car Doctor hotline. 855-560-9900. The number that's 24-7. That's right. We keep it going each and every hour of each and every day. Just in case you've got a problem, 3 o'clock in the morning, call up. Give us a call. Leave a message. And we will call you back and get you in line for the next following show as we broadcast live each and every Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, live out on the network. And then we go out on the affiliates and then obviously podcasting, podcasting available, cardoctorshow.com, tunein.com, iHeart, iTunes, all sorts of places you can take the Car Doctor, get the Car Doctor, and also Google Play. How is your week? I guess that's a good place to start today's conversation. Somebody is always, you know, how is your week? How was your day? You know what? I had a great week. I had, a, I had a screwy week. I was fixing cars for a living. I, you know, every week is a new adventure when you're repairing automobiles. Went to two training classes this week. Uh, one was with a gang over at TST Technician Service Training. Jerry Trulian bunch over there in Totem, New Jersey. We were in over there and uh, spent a couple hours with Jerry and the crew and talked about scan tools. And then we went down to a great seminar in Paramus, New Jersey, uh, with the boys from Denso and Parts Authority partsauthority.com and talk to them about, well, it just, you know, it was all about GM ignition systems and um, got to see some old friends, the instructor, as a matter of fact, a former employee and watch everybody and talk to everybody. And it was a learning week. You know, I looked at what happened in the shop this week and because you know how it is, you come home from the end of the day and everybody says, how was your day, daddy? And, you know, I always think of that line General Patton said about what you do in the great world war two. Well, it's not exactly something like that, but it was the idea that, you know what? I learned a lot this week. It was a learning week. It was, uh, you know, for example, I learned one of the biggest reasons why we get carbon deposits. And I think this is really important because we've been talking about that a lot lately here on the show. As a matter of fact, I've got a letter from the EPA. I've got a couple of people out there that uh, are doubting that the EPA is up to antics with uh, fuel issues. And I have a response to the question about changes in gasoline additives in 2017 and 18. I got a response from them about some of the changes that are going to be coming up. And I think it's an indication of where we're going, but we'll talk about that a little bit later on this this week. But it, it, carbon deposits, in terms of where it came from, it's it's so simple, it's brilliant. You know what the biggest problem in terms of causing carbon deposits in engines are? The oil that you're putting in them. If you're not using a good quality oil, for example, in a General Motors vehicle, if you're not using a Dexos-rated oil, then chances are, because of the design of the engine, you're going to have a breakdown and allow oil to up past, go up past the rings into the combustion chamber, and it's going to help promote and quicken the formation of carbon deposits. General Motors has a real issue with that. 
lot of the other car companies too. A lot of the car companies are just stating that you know lack of improper oil is going to cause an issue for carbon, and that's generally where most of it's coming from, along with gasoline. They're all concerned about gasoline, and um, it's become an issue. I sent the letter out to the EPA, and this is what I said. I said, good morning. I hope this is the correct place for a question of this nature. This was to the support department for the Environmental Protection Agency. My question was simple. We're hearing about changes in fuel additive formulation requirement in the next few years, and my listeners want to know, is the EPA or any other agency mandating fuel additive removal beyond the limits, current limits and statutes? Is there concern over carbon deposits and GDI engines if detergents are removed and it becoming more of an issue, among other things? Thank you, Ron and Annie and the car doctor, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the response. Well, at first, I, I should also point out, and they were very nice. They got back to me in a couple of days, and you know, we started to talk to them about, hey, we'd like to put somebody on the show to really discuss this at length. Their answer was, I'm afraid we won't be able to put someone on the phone with you, but I hope the following helps. Please feel free to circle back if you have any questions. In 2014, the EPA finalized standards to cut the average sulfur content in gasoline from 30 parts per million to 10 parts per million beginning in calendar year 2017. The reduction in sulfur and gasoline will lead to significant reductions in harmful soot, smog, and tailpipe emissions from cars and trucks and better health for Americans. By 2018, EPA estimates cleaner fuels and car programs annually prevent between 225 and 610 premature deaths. The lower fuel standards, and this is the part that makes no sense, and I am going to circle back and get an answer. The lower fuel standards will also promote durability for advanced emission controls such as catalytic converters and may also reduce the formation of engine deposits. Industry is currently evaluating issues related to deposits for GDI engines, and the EPA plans to keep abreast of developments in this area. I got to tell you, I read that and I said, you know, I don't get it that you've made changes with a a potential harmful side effect, but you still made the change anyway. That's like Governor Christie adding 23 cents to a gallon of gas here in New Jersey this past week and all that that entails. So bottom line, carbon deposits are clearly an issue. Bottom line, EPA is clearly making changes to the formulation of gasoline, and they don't exactly know where it's going to take us. They don't know whether or not or they don't know what the long term damage is. That's not my opinion. Right here in black and white. I've got it in writing. So for all you doubters out there, guess what? Go get your own copy. Write the EPA and ask them the same question and see what answer they give you, and I already know what it will be. So uh, just be aware of that. A lot going on this hour. I think I don't know if we're going to do it this hour or next hour. Maybe we'll do it next hour. Uh, we're going to be giving away an O'Reilly Auto Parts $25 gift card. Uh, you know, that's up to the subject of, of Tom Ray. And, uh, uh, yeah, Tom, you wanted, to, you wanted to jump in here and – uh, yeah, Ron. Uh, actually, hang on a minute. Oh, we're uh, yeah. Hang on one second. Go ahead. Sorry about sorry That's about right. that, Ron. I was uh, taking a phone call here. I yeah. need to put the gentleman on hold. This is a little behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, we've got a um, lot going on today, folks. You have no idea. We're just we're we're. It's like being in the shop. I've got to tell you. I counted at the end of the day, at the end of the week this week. Danny and I walked out of there exhausted. We were uh, we were just working every night until six six thirty seven o'clock. It was a crazy. So here we are doing the show, and the same things going on. We're busy this week. So yeah, you wanted something. You had a car repair this week or something? Didn't you? Yeah, actually, I was uh, I was up in Elmira, New York, and my wife uh, called me and said, uh, you know, the blower motor stopped working in the car. Now imagine this, folks. Right here, I am 
10 o'clock at night. I think it was Wednesday? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday? And I'm half asleep. I'm, what? Oh, it's Tom. Oh, blower motor. So I said to Tom, Tom wanted to look up parts, and I said... Go to O'Reilly Auto Parts. and Which is what he ended up doing, and it was, it was nice, right? You were able to look up all the parts there and see what you needed? And... Oh, look, looked up all the parts. Uh, got it. I actually got exactly what I needed. Um that with a couple of suggestions uh, on, you know, maybe you do need a connector for the resistor. Because at right. this point, I didn't know, was it the resistor? Was it the motor? Was it a fuse? What was going on? Um, then I got home, and uh, we ran out, took our daughter to her birthday dinner, and uh, ran over to O'Reilly, got the parts. And at 10 o'clock at night, I'm under the dashboard of the car, determined it was the blower motor, and Bang popped zoom. it in. And, uh you know, the car is happy, and uh, Mrs. And, Mrs. Mrs. Tom Ray is happy. Yes, and there was actually a very interesting, uh, interesting phenomenon with the car that you and I were talking about too. Yeah, with the, the way the wiring was. Well, you know, Tom, I'll tell you what: the technology is changing for everyone else. We were looking at the wiring diagram, and the way they had it wired is they had power to the motor, and the switch was controlling ground correct yes the, the, the right the, the the blower motor the 12 volts was coming out of the uh, box under the hood out through the blower relay and the actual speed switch was controlling ground which would change taps on the resistor which would change blower speed right and and the way the circuit was wired we said it's not logical that it's a blower but it has to be but there was another anomaly to that wiring diagram right you fix the blower motor and then something else started happening yeah well at the same time uh my wife had said uh, you know when i open the door the door locks don't do what they're supposed to i mean they work if you push the button if if you push the button they just they don't automatically open when you open the car doors and i went well, yeah, we'll look at that later replace the blower motor and Magically, that problem went away, yet on the diagram, it doesn't show any connection. Let me tell you what we talked about in class this week, and then we're going to go to break. So um, anyway, so that's the O'Reilly Auto Parts store. More, yeah, more, they were great. Yeah, they were fantastic. Uh, yeah, O'ReillyAuto.com. We are going to give away a $25 gift card. Uh, this week in class, we were talking about one of the instructors had rented a 2015 Honda Civic, and when he made right turns, the car went into limp mode. It actually started to slow down. It went into limp mode like the uh, drive-by-wire throttle body or uh, accelerator pedal sensor went south. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you the answer when I return. Let's do over. Let's pull over and take a pause. Um, I'll keep you in suspense. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Ron and Anian. Welcome back. Ron and Anian, Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. So for those of you that were with us before the pause, we were talking about, well, some of the anomalies that we're seeing with cars. And I was just going to tell this real quick story. So this instructor rented a 2015 Honda Civic, makes a left turn, everything's fine, makes a right turn, the car slows down, goes into limp mode which means it's it's barely accelerating. You might have experienced it with your particular model car. It's across the board, GM, Ford, Chrysler, Toyota, Honda. They all do it. Limping or power loss because the uh, drive-by-wire circuit detects a fault and, and shuts down the vehicle, so it'll limp home, so it's not operating under full speed. 
makes a right turn, goes into limp mode. Makes a right turn without turning the directional on, it's okay. Stands in the back of the car and notices that the right side taillight bulb isn't as bright as the left side taillight bulb. Takes the bulbs out, looks at them, they're two different brands. Takes the right bulb, puts it in the left side, takes the left bulb, puts it in the right side. Now when he makes left turns, the car goes into limp mode. Finds out that the bulb that was in the right side, now left, was incorrect and didn't have the correct resistance, therefore Ohm's Law, right? Didn't have the same or correct current flow. Somehow it tied into the vehicle BCM, tied into the engine control system, and it saw that as a threat. It saw that as a change in current because the computers today are all measuring current. They're looking at current as well as voltage drop, but current is a very big factor in today's cars, and it kept that car from actually running properly. So, you know, the next time you think you've seen it all, of course, that won't happen in New Jersey because nobody in New Jersey seems to be using the directionals. So I don't think we have any issue of that anytime soon where we're going to have to worry about people putting on directionals going into limp mode. I'm sure that there's people like that in your neck of the woods, too. But anyway, just uh, an interesting anomaly. What did I learn this week? That's what I learned this week, that uh, you know the technology is just it's, it's reaching the end of the end of its limits. Anyway, let's kick the garage doors open. Keep in mind, like I said, we are giving away a $25 gift card to O'Reilly Auto Parts. I think this is, well, no, it's not our first international call, but it's 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 my first call from London, England. Yes, sir. And uh, let's go do that. Richard from London, England. That can only be one and only. Richard, welcome to the car, Doctor, sir. Proud to have you. Well, thank you very much indeed, Ron. It's wonderful to be on the show because uh, I'm, a, I'm a loyal listener. I love listening to you. Thank you very much. How can I help you today, Richard? Well, I've got a, a problem with my, uh, it's a little bit older than some of the motor cars that, uh, that you talk about, but it's a car that you'll be very familiar with as a great engineer. It's a 63 Corvette Coupe. That's the split uh, window. Sure, car. yeah. Yep, Six- and, um, 327. It's a clutch prop. Say again? 327. It's a 327, 300, uh, four-speed. Okay. And uh, a little bit of a clutch problem. It, uh, the clutch wouldn't fully disengage unless I had the, um, the clutch right on the floor. So uh, I'm not a, an engineer, but, um, of course, this, this is a, a fairly standard GM mechanical clutch. So I had a look at the, the adjuster rod, and it was about an inch from the end. This is the, the end away from the bulkhead. So uh, I, uh, I adjusted it, and it's actually fine if I adjust it so that uh, the, the nut is right on the end of the, the rod. Okay. Well, you know, it, it's, I think it's what you would call denial, Ron. Um, it shouldn't be there. And I thought to myself, just to give a little bit more information, I thought, well, this is a 53-year-old motor car, so it could be that some wrong parts have got in there because, as, as you know better than me, the, the early cars, they had a, a short pedal rod and a long fork rod, and then in 66 GM just slightly changed the geometry, so they put a about an inch longer pedal rod and a slightly shorter fork rod, and they changed the angle of the clutch cross shaft, which That's I correct. think in, yep. uh, in the States you call the Z-bar. Yeah, um, correct, yep. So, so uh, and I looked, and I have to be amazed, it was all bone stock correct. So, yeah, I could go out and buy a longer pedal rod, the 19-inch, not the 18-inch, and then, you know, in theory, problem solved. But that's that's just bad practice, isn't it? It is. I what think, you, think it is? you know, you're... What's you're, going on? To 
to a degree, I think you're hiding the problem. Um, one, uh, of, one of one of one of my concerns would be: is it an indication of the clutch itself having a future issue? Did you did you buy the car like this, Richard, or did it happen over time? Well, I uh, I I bought the car. Um, I had an inspector in the states look at the car. And he said to me, the clutch is okay. It um, engages um, about a third of the way through the travel. There's not, the, the clutch is fine. Did a complete check. When it arrived in, in England, um, it just seemed to be a little bit, a bit sticky. And then um, when, I, when I drove it home, I thought, well, I, I, this clutch is just, uh, I've just got a little bit of drag. Um, it hasn't had a new clutch in it, Ron. Um, and the, the last owner, who is lovely, and I trust implicitly, he hasn't said anything about the car, so I haven't got a lot to go on. Yeah, I think I think what I would do is, well, let, let's say it like this. It's a classic. What I would try to do, first of all, is be very careful and take a good hard look at the Z-bar, at the, at the cross shaft, as you guys call it, um, over there, um, and just be sure that it matches 100%. The majority of problems that I've seen... The slightest bit of wear at the Z-bar will change the geometry and change how that pedal reacts very, very quickly. Really? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's uh. that's number one. Uh, number two, I'm just concerned, does it have a slightly worn disc? You know, the compressed height of the disc will affect how the fingers of the pressure plate extend, which will affect where the throat, where the release bearing sits, which will affect where the pedal sits, and change the right. geometry as well. So, uh. you know, what I would tell you to do, all right, and I'm up against the clock, Richard, what, what I would tell right. you to do is try to line up an original Z-bar, all right? Right. Start there. Make sure there's nowhere where the rods come into the bar. Make sure there's nowhere at the bushings under the dash. There shouldn't be any slop in the system. All right? And start the battle from there. If everything looks good and tight, uh, look and see what the Z-bar tells you. If the Z-bar looks correct and it's fine, now you've got one in stock. And for something like this, it's always nice to have an extra around. And then maybe think about in the future, go to the longer rod, but then maybe think about in the future going to a longer bar and see what uh, see what transpires that way. Richard, I got to go. I'm up against the clock. Send me an email. We can talk via that. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Each and every day, Ron Anini in the Car Doctor here, 855-560-9900. Taking your calls and answering your questions live today, Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. If you want more of this radio show and you call 855-560-9900, leave a message. We will call you back and put you in the lineup for the following week's show. Also, podcasts available at cardoctorshow.com. Tune in iHeart, iTunes, and Google Play. Let's get over and talk to Mark from the great state of Texas, 2002 Chevy Silverado, and some problems with a hard start. Mark, you're on with the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Yes, sir. I have this Silverado, okay. and when you turn the key to start it, it doesn't want to start. But then if you let off of the key and wait about five seconds and then turn it again, then it starts right up. Does it, and it's been does doing it, this for a long time. Does it crank normally? You turn that key the first time, Mark, and it's crank, 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 crank. doesn't start. Yes, sir. Release it the can, key. You can leave the key engaged 
and let it crank 20 times, and it still won't start. Okay. You can pump the gas and do everything, and it won't start. All right. But then when you let off of the key and wait five seconds and then turn it again, then, it, then it'll then it start right up. Now, when I f- first bought the truck used about a year ago, it was it was doing that fairly well. It would start up always on the second crank. Now it's getting sometimes where I have to do it three times or even four times, and it's just the problem seems to be getting worse. Any other drivability issues? No, no, uh, n- not at all. Every now and then, an ABS brake light will come on, nah, and then it'll yeah, okay. but go not, off, you know. Not on a 2002. If it was a 2012, I'd um, be concerned. But I, I had a guy put a computer uh, on it the other day, and he said there was no fault codes. Okay. So it's a 2002 Silverado. Do you know what engine mark? Six liter, 5.3? What is it? It's the five. It's the eight-cylinder. Okay, 5.3. Right. Uh, no codes, yes. no drivability issues, just doesn't want to start the first time around. Right, and I um, even went and bought a new uh, gas cap the other day no, that's and not... tried that. Listen, that let's, didn't let's, help. let's diagnose it. And, and keep in mind, a lot, of, a lot of diagnosis is just knowing what's good so you can figure out what's bad. Has anybody attempted okay. any sort of diagnosis at this up to this point? No. All right. So, like any engine... I just like I said, I want to know what's good. Um, do you want to do you want to diagnose this yourself, or do you want to send it down to the send it down to your local guy? Well, if I just knew what was wrong with it, I'm sure I could probably fix it. It's the diagnosis of okay. it that I can't do. Well, I'm I'm suspicious of the fuel pump, but I want you know I got to get you there. I got to yeah. go. I have to go this route. Okay. Uh, number okay. one, um, I want to know you know when it when it goes into this crank no start. I'd like to know does it have spark? Does it have fuel injector pulse? All right. Okay. Now, okay. you know, either you're going to get, go out and buy a Noid light and an inexpensive spark tester. You'll spend under a hundred dollars, and you could hook those uh-huh. up, or you can have your guy do it. But I want okay. somebody to physically check for spark at at more than one plug, and I want to check for injector pulse at more than one injector. All right. Mm-hmm. If you get past that, if it has injector pulse and it has spark, and I'm suspicious that it will, I suspect that it will. Then the next thing I want to look at is when the engine is cold, I want someone to bring it up on a scan tool, and I want to look at coolant temp and intake air temp. If that engine oh. has been if that engine has been sitting longer than eight hours, sometimes four, but we'll we'll use eight. That's the industry standard. If that engine's been sitting eight hours, coolant temp and intake air temp should be within ten to twelve degrees of each other. If there's, okay. if there's a huge disparity, you know, if, if coolant temp is 68 degrees and ambient air temp is 68 degrees and the intake air temp sensor says it's it's 112 degrees, there's a problem, all right? If, all right. if intake air is 68 and it's 68 degrees out and coolant temp says it's 25 degrees, there's a problem. I always like to know what does the computer think, what does the engine think as far as coolant temp and general temperatures as I'm trying to diagnose something like this. Number two. Number three, I want to know what fuel pressure is. All right? I want to know what fuel pressure is. I want to know volume. I also want a sample of fuel pressure. All right? I've seen a lot of I've seen a lot of problems, hard starts. Some people will get a poorly blended or not as a not as volatile a gas as they think they're getting and it's 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 contaminated with ethanol or it's got higher quantities of ethanol in it. There's a cheap kit out there for 30 35 bucks. 
You can do an ethanol test. We're starting to do that in the shop because uh, we're starting to see issues. But I just want to know what's the quality of the fuel. But fuel pressure on that truck should be 58 pounds, no less, during a crank. If that pump's putting out 56 pounds, that truck will not start, period. Okay. All right? So it's very, very critical. All right? Yeah. And then, And then while you're cranking it, and you've got the fuel pressure gauge hooked up, there should be a dump button to release pressure, make sure the pressure line is going into a Snapple bottle. There's there's fancier pieces of equipment out there to do a fuel sample and a fuel volume test. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a cheapskate. I like doing things simple. Uh, the uh, Snapple bottle in under 30 seconds is a general rule of thumb. If it won't fill the Snapple bottle, that means it's got pressure but no volume, and that's a problem. So, okay. all right, but those those are the things I would begin to look at. Obviously, you know, I like to make sure my battery's in good condition. I like to make sure my battery terminals are good, clean, and tight. We could have a conversation about going around the engine compartment and looking at grounds, but you're on steps. You're a couple of steps down the line. You know, first things is spark fuel and injector pulse, because if it has spark, I know that the ignition system's working. If it has injector pulse, I don't know just that it has injector pulse. I know the computer's awake. I know it's got a crank signal, all right? I know a bunch of sensors ahead of the injectors are doing what they're supposed to do as far as the PCM is concerned, and that brings me down to fuel. I want to see what fuel pressure is. Okay. All right, sir? All right. Well, so that's a lot to look at. Those are, those are the things and uh, some quick, basic, simple things, and we can kind of go from there. If you need more, Ron at cardoctorshow.com. You send me an email. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Appreciate Mark. It. You take good care. Let's get on over and talk to Glenn in Philadelphia, 2012 RAV4, and uh, some questions and comments. Yes, Glenn, welcome to the car, Dr. Sir. How can I help? Hey, Ron, how you doing? Good. What's going on? Uh, 212 RAV4, I have two questions I want to ask you about um, uh, Ford Escape. This car, I'm looking at it online, and um, I was looking at the Carfax report, and it looks good. Um, the only question I have about it, well, I got two. One is, it's got 100,000 miles on it, 2012. I don't know if the trans fluid, <clears throat> excuse me, has ever been changed or not on this car. Okay. Um, do you know what the interval would be for that? And if it hasn't been changed, you know, how much of a risk am I taking by buying it if everything else has been maintained on the car? Well, let's 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 talk about that comment first. If the trans fluid has not been serviced. You know, I'm a believer, birds of a feather. If the if the trans yeah. fluid has not been serviced, then I question what's the rest of the car like. And that's a concern. You know, one of the things I frown on is someone will come into the shop and announce, well, you know what, I've decided to do maintenance to the car. It must need something. It's only got 120,000 miles on it, and I just yeah. um, send shivers down my back. You know, I get it that you're doing oil changes, and it, it seems like in this country we focus so much on oil changes we forget about the rest of the car. We forget about trans fluid and coolant and all those things. So, you know, that's a, you know, condition dictates dictates price, and, you know, that's the call you've got to make there because obviously I can't see the condition from here. So that, yeah. be, that being said, this is WS Fluid. This is Toyota's world-class fluid. Pretty durable stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that trans is pretty durable. It'll take a beating. Um, I believe okay. this to be WS. I don't believe this to be a CVT. I don't think there's a CVT in the 12 RAVs. Uh, you know, so the odds are in your favor that if you do a trans okay. service, uh, you know, not to say that 
you know, you they they ran the little old man from 60 to 85 a little hard. And, uh, you know, maybe you want to do an earlier trans service the next time around. And uh, to the interval question, portion of the question, Glenn, I, I'm a believer in, you know, real-world stuff. And, you know, older fluids. Here, I'll tell you a story. My daughter's Escape, uh, 2014 Escape, she's got LV fluid in it, which is Ford's, you know, rated for 100,000-mile-plus fluid. Everybody's changing it between 30 and 50. Because the additives in the LV is found to have is found that it has the uh, what's the right word I'm looking for the nature or the characteristic to break down prematurely, and and that creates an issue. So you know sooner is better than later. You know I just changed right. I just changed the trans fluid on that. It just hit the forty thousand mile mark. Theoretically, it was good till eighty or a hundred thousand. Uh, Toyota's WS um, fluid is. Is, is rated for the life of the vehicle. I'm not sure what that lifetime is. Uh, right. You know, real world, we changed Toyota WS at the 50 mark. 50 to 60 is wow. when we start talking about it. Uh, you know, right. um, type 4 Toyota, the older stuff that you might find in like an 05 Camry or something, we'll do that in the thirty to 40,000 mile range. So, you know, okay. it's... But I think there's a lot of life left in that car. Let me state that. Unless that car has been okay. really, really abused... Toyotas seem to react well to maintenance, and they react well towards care, and they will run a good long time. Okay. The All other right. question I have about that car is I'm about I'm almost six four, and the seat does not go back. It's a little bit tight for me. Right. And I looked online for some aftermarket uh, brackets. Would that car say I'm involved in an accident? You know, could that potentially become an issue? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 you know okay. what, Glenn? Stay on the line. I want to talk. I want to touch on this real quick. I'm up against the clock. Let me just pull over and take this pause. But I want to talk about this. Don't go away. Eight hundred five. I'm sorry. Eight five five. I know it has to be something. Eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero. Who am I? Oh, I'm Ron Anini and the Car Doctor. I got to be me. I'm I'm wearing my shoes. I'll be back right after this. Doctor. Hey, I'm out of my dreams and out of my head, and I'm into my car because uh, that's what I do. I'm running in the car, Doctor. 855-560-9900. Let's get back to the phones. Glenn from Philadelphia, you're still there, sir. I am, yeah. Yeah, we were um, we were talking about, um, what were we talking about, Glenn? Refresh my memory. Yeah, you brought up a good point. Safety issue, if I alter the position of the driver's seat and I move right. it back and into through, how is that going to affect my safety and possibly the car being in Effective, I get involved in an accident. Is 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 the part you're using designed to do that? Is it is it sold as a seat extender? Yeah. Okay. The question shouldn't be directed to me. It should be directed to that company, because I I okay. have I do have concerns with that. In that we're modifying something. Think of it like this. Um, you know, in terms of Toyota. Think of the millions and millions of dollars and the amount of engineering and, and statistical reports they've got on where that seat should be and how it will react in a crash and the crush zone and the crash zone and all of that information. Here comes Glenn with his, you know, 
$20 kit of angle iron and nuts and bolts, and he's going to move the seat. And, you know, what effect does that have on all the data that the engineer spent two years beforehand trying to come to, to market with? So, uh, you yeah. know, that company that's selling you that bracket, they've had to have faced this before. And I'm sure they've got insurance for this if something goes wrong, heaven forbid. And I'm sure they've got the data to back it up. Otherwise, I can't understand how they would sell it in good conscience. And if they don't have the data to back it up, then I wouldn't buy it because, you know, any idiot can take a piece of angle iron and move a seat. Moving it safely is a whole other conversation. And and that's really yep. what it's about. Because airbags, point of impact, so many things have to come into the consideration and um, be of concern. Does that Does that make sense to you? Absolutely. Okay. May I ask you one more thing real quick? Real quick. Uh, the Ford Escape with the 2-liter EcoBoost, what, what's your opinion on that motor and that drivetrain? Uh, I like it. 2013. Well, I'll tell you what. My daughter's driving a 14 2-liter EcoBoost. I like it. Um, you know, she wouldn't be in it if it wasn't a good vehicle, and I think that kind of says it all. I'm a little disappointed in Ford. I was going to talk about this next hour, but I'll touch on it real quick now. They've, you know, they issued a recall for the car just this week about the uh, side door latch may break, which the, make, make the door difficult to latch. A door opens while driving increases the risk of injury. Yeah, no kidding. I can't say this is only Ford. This is all the car companies. At the bottom it says parts aren't available for this. Parts will be available second quarter of 17. Uh, you know, aside from that, I think the Escape is a great car, and I would still go out and buy one. I'm just disappointed in how they're handling this particular recall like so many of the other recalls. So um, I would take a hard look at it, Glenn, if that's what fits you and your frame. Then I would consider that before I consider moving the seat in the RAV4. At least you're dealing with stability. 855-560-9900. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor back right after this. <laughs> Ron and Anian. Welcome back. Ron and Anian, the car doctor, 855-560-9900. No more calls this hour. Let me just finish this piece of email, this this, this notice we were talking before about the Ford, uh, explore, uh, sorry, the Ford Escape and uh, the safety recall. So, you know, imagine you come home from a hard day at work. Not that that has any bearing on it. Here's the notice, 2014 Escape, dear Mr. Ananian. This notice is sent to you in accordance with the National Traffic and Motor Vehicle Safety Act. So the federal government's involved in this. All right. I mean, you ever look at a, a, a recall? This one just kind of caught my eye. Ford Motor Company has decided that a defect which relates to motor vehicle safety exists in your vehicle with the above shown VIN. We apologize for this situation. When I assure you with your assistance, we'll correct this condition. Our commitment together with your dealers to provide you with the highest level of service and support. What is the issue? In your vehicle, this is a 2014 Escape. A side door latch may break, which may make the door difficult to latch. A door that opens while driving increases the risk of injury. No kidding. Parts are not currently available to repair all vehicles. What should you do? If your vehicle exhibits symptoms related to side door latching, contact your dealer and request a service appointment for diagnosis and repair. Provide the dealer with the VIN, which is printed in your name at the beginning of this letter. If your vehicle does not exhibit these symptoms, Ford will notify you. By mail when service parts are available. You read through the fine print down at the bottom. When parts are available for this safety recall, you'll be notified by Ford via mail to schedule a service appointment with your dealer 
to replace your vehicle's side door latches. Parts for 1630s is the recall are anticipated to be available to begin repairing vehicles in the second quarter of 2017. What do they think we're going to do? We're going to drive around with a car that the doors are going to fall open for the next six months? That's what's wrong with this industry. Let's get on the stick board. I'm Ron Anning in the car, Doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.